If you'll follow along, um, Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord and one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, He led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Geoff. Let me add my welcome. There's a few new faces. My name is Paul. I'm the pastor here. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, and let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we come humbly to your feet tonight, and we sit under your word, and we pray that by your spirit, by your powerful Holy Spirit, you might speak to us. Please clear our minds of all distractions. Uh, please... Uh, Open our hearts to what you would have us hear. Please, please do a, a mighty work in each one of us. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to talk again about church tonight, and I want to ask you a question, which is, uh, what is your attitude towards church? So how do you see church, and how do you see your part within the church? You know, it's Sunday afternoon, about sort of five o'clock, you know, I'm going to church. So it's, what's your view of church? What are you coming to? Let me give you two different examples of church. One is biblical, one is unbiblical. I'll start with the, the unbiblical one. For some people, I think church is, is, is like taking a bus trip. So about six o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, you think, oh, it's time for my bus trip. And so you leave your house and you you get on the bus and you say hello to the bus driver and you take your seat on the bus. And you like your bus. 
You enjoy your one-hour bus trip every week, and sometimes it's an hour and a half, that's a bit annoying, but an hour is about right, and you enjoy the scenery, and you like this particular bus. And you've done your research, you've checked out other bus companies, and you decided, this is the best bus for me to sit on. Uh, you like the fact that it's sound, and you like the fact that it's clean, and, and other people clean the bus for you because you've paid your bus fare. And you like the fact that this bus has got a really good reputation. Other people know about this bus. In fact, the driver of this bus gets to speak on conferences on how to drive a bus well. And you like that. Uh, but you've got your particular seat on the bus and every week you, you get on the bus and sit in your seat and you sit with the people that you like. Same people every week. The people that you like and the people that are like you. And you know, Occasionally, just occasionally, you might hang out with people outside of the bus. Uh, you like the fact that other people get onto the bus occasionally, new people, as long as you don't have to talk to them. Uh, there are people on the bus that you don't like. There's people on the bus who hurt you two years ago, so you don't talk to them anymore. And every Sunday you get on the bus and head down, no eye contact, let's get to my seat on the bus. And after a couple of years you think, oh, I'm a bit bored of this bus, it's the same thing every week. Maybe it's time for me to find a new bus trip to get onto. Where I can be a passenger on this bus for another couple of years until... I'm bored of that bus as well. That's how some people see church, you know. You're coming on a bus and you sit in your seat and you don't talk to anybody, you don't do anything. It suits you and you'll stay on the bus as long as it's suitable for you. Here's the other example of church. It's what church should be like. Church should be like an orchestra. On a Sunday night at about 6.30, it's time for orchestra, and so you turn up and you've got your instrument with you. And you all come to orchestra with a different instrument under your arm. You've got violins, you've got violas, you've got cellos, you've got the double bass. You're carrying that one, it's a bit too big to go under the arm. You've got the flute, you've got the clarinet, you've got the oboe, you've got the bassoon, you've got the trumpets, you've got the trombones, you've got the tuba, you've got the French horns, you've got the percussionists, you've got the timpanists. And you turn up to this orchestra and you take your seat in the orchestra and you're there to use your instrument to play together. And you love playing with your orchestra because you're making a beautiful noise together, you've got a part to play. Uh, you're all playing off the same score, the same piece of music. And you know, sometimes you don't like the piece of music, but you still play it because you're part of the orchestra. And you've got a conductor. And his or her role is to help you to play this music really well. And sometimes in the orchestra, you know, someone plays a wrong note or does the wrong thing, but you don't ostracize them, you don't shout at them, you actually love them and you sometimes laugh with them and you actually practice together to make it a Stand together. And when your orchestra rehearsal finishes, you actually hang out together. Because you enjoy talking about music and you enjoy doing life together. Now that is church. We've all got different instruments, different gifts. We're not all the same. Isn't that wonderful? 
We're all playing off the same score. It's called the Bible. We're all seeking to please the same composer who's called God himself. But we're making a beautiful noise together. You know, it's not possible to be an authentic member of an orchestra if you just sit there and never play a note. You're not part of it. And I would question whether it's possible to be an authentic Christian who loves Jesus and, and never actually belong to a family and never be part of a church and never actually get involved in that church. And that's what we're looking at tonight in Ephesians chapter 4. The church. See, he describes church as a body down in verse 16. Christ is the head, verse 15, we are the body, and from Christ the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligaments, grows and builds itself up in love as we all play our part, we all play our instruments. That's what it means to be church, we're in this together, we're united together, we're making a joyful noise together. And that's my theme for tonight, is our our unity as a church family, and I know that as soon as I say the word unity and church, you're kind of thinking, those two words don't fit together, because my experience of church is disunity. It's not how God made us to be. I was part of a church almost 20 years ago where there were two women, Margaret and Jean, and I found out they hadn't spoken for 15 years. And someone in church said, oh, that's okay, it's just those two ladies. They don't get on, that's okay. But it's not okay, is it? To be part of a church and not speak to one another for 15 years. In the second half of Ephesians, we've moved from the theology to the practical, from the creed to the conduct. And, and verse 1 of chapter 4 is like the headline for the rest of the letter. The Apostle Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, so he's writing from prison because of his faith in Jesus. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to, to live a life worthy of the calling you've received or literally to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you received that that step by step day by day walking to please God now now what is this calling that we've received if you're in Christ what's the calling that you've received it is not just a calling to be a Christian the calling is, is chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians. So what do we learn from chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians? That by the blood of Jesus, God has reconciled you to himself and he's reconciled you to each other. That's the calling you see to be reconciled to each other. The, the calling you've received is to be, be part of this, this one new man, this one new humanity that's called the church. See, that shatters our individualistic view of Christianity where I'm saved by grace and I'm reconciled to God it's just an individual thing and the Bible says no of course you're saved individually but you're saved into a family into a body it's called the church for those who who, who like a, a single sentence summary of a sermon here it is God has given us a unity so guard it and grow it. God has given us a unity, so guard that unity and grow in that unity. If you just want three words, given, 
guard and grow. So, so our unity is a given as a church. We are united. Unity isn't something that the, the, the church creates by programs and systems and dress codes and rituals. We are already united in Christ. See that in verse 4? This was probably an early confessional hymn. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are one. The word on the screen, one. See, our, our unity is actually grounded or rooted or so closely tied up with the Godhead, with the Trinity. Do you see that? Verse 4, one spirit. The same spirit lives in me as lives in you, and that same spirit makes us one body called the church. That same spirit creates the church and fills the church and empowers the church and equips the church. Uh, Verse 5, the same Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the same faith or trust in Jesus. We have the same baptism into Jesus for forgiveness of sins. The same hope, the return of Christ. Uh, Verse 6, we have the same Heavenly Father. We are one family. Do you see that? That Our unity as a church is actually all about the Father, the Son and the Spirit. Here's what John Stott said. The unity of the church is as indestructible as the unity of God himself. It's no more possible to split the church than it's possible to split the Godhead. And you hear that sentence, you say, that is rubbish. The church has spent the last 2,000 years trying to do just that, to split the church. Every time you have a disagreement, you form a new denomination, and a new system, and new structures, and there's fighting, and there's factions, and there's a silent treatment. And that's why we need to hear this passage tonight, because God has given us a unity, and our job is not to create it, It's to guard it, it's to maintain it, it's to keep it. That's the word used in verse 3, to guard our unity. Look at verse 3 with me. Make every effort to guard, maintain, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Isn't isn't church incredible? The, The Spirit of God takes people who are so different Different personalities, you've got extroverts and you've got introverts. Different stars of communication, the loud talkers and the quiet ones and the blunt ones and the subtle ones. He takes different ages, different stages, different likes, different dislikes. And and he says, you're all one because of grace. You're all equal because of grace. And I tell you what, I'm going to put you into the same family. Here you are. Now live together as a family. With all your differences, live together because you're one in Jesus. That's the church. But it's hard, isn't it? Because we get hurt and there are disagreements and there are pride games and power games. And as one person said, to, to dwell above with the saints that we love, that's what we call glory. To dwell below with the saints that we know, that's a different story. So how are we going to guard this unity? 
And I love the fact that Paul doesn't start with structures and programs. How are we going to guard our unity? What does Paul say in verse 2? He says it starts here, in your heart, with your character. If you're going to be united as a church, be completely humble, be completely gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Isn't that a glorious sentence? Look at it again. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another in love. And I'm here saying, church, by the bridge, if we're going to be united and guard our unity, the first quality is, is humility. It's a beautiful quality, humility. It's not a weakness. To be humble means that you, you know your worth. You know who you are in Christ. And so you know better than the next person. You don't look down on people. You're not proud. You don't need to be the star of the show. It's not about you or your ego. To be humble is about the other person because you want this to glorify Jesus. If we're going to be united as a church, we've got to be gentle with one another. To be gentle, is, again, it's not a weakness, it's a strength. To be gentle means that you've got that, that ability just to, to put aside your harsh words and to speak words of kindness, to, to get rid of your bullying and just be quiet and gentle and loving and kind. Let's just take those two words, humility and gentleness. Who does that remind you of? Who was full of humility and full of gentleness? The Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, they come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. For I am humble and gentle. <laughs> be like Jesus. If we're going to be united, we've got to be patient. The word patient in verse 2 means that you are long-fused. You have a long temper. You're not short-tempered. You don't fly off the handle. You don't expect people to, to change according to your time frame. You know, you're prepared to walk alongside them and to wait with them and to love them. And that's why he says in verse 2, you need to bear with one another. Not just tolerate each other, but you actually love each other and you see the best in other people and you, you give them the benefit of the doubt and you, you bear with one another in love. That's the oil that binds our relationships, that we are loved and so we love one another. One, one of the verses that struck me last year was in, in 1 Peter when he says, Love one another deeply from the heart. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. If we're going to be united, church, we need to be completely, verse 2, be totally humble, gentle, patient, forbearing, and loving. What's the flip side of that? If church by the bridge is going to be full of disunity, what's the flip side? Be totally proud. Be totally harsh, uh, be impatient and intolerant and full of hatred. The easiest way to get a disunited church is to clothe yourself with pride and harshness and impatience and intolerance and hatred. 
the church. We are united, so, so God are our unity. Verse 3, make every effort. It is hard work. When people disagree with you, when people hurt you, when people annoy you, it is hard work, but make the effort to maintain the unity. This is so important. See, if you're concerned about unity in this church, the answer is not to shout and to scream and to get your little groups together to talk and to gossip. The answer is to look at your own heart. Look at your own heart and say, am I humble? Am I gentle? Am I patient? Am I forbearing? Am I loving? I'm not saying that you, you, you putty over all the cracks and pretend that we're all okay, we're not okay. You've got to have hard conversations. That's really hard work. But please check your character, check your attitude. Guard the unity with the help of the Holy Spirit. So we are united, our unity is given, so guard it, and then then grow it. Let's grow in our unity. How are you going to do that? Well, it tells you. Verse 11. Christ, the the, the risen Christ, the ascended Christ, he, he, he gave gifts to each one of us. He gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, they are, they are the men and the women who were, were empowered by the risen Lord Jesus to take the gospel to the first world, to form the first church. They're the foundations of the church, the apostles and the prophets. He, he gave some people to be evangelists. They're, they're the men and the women who have that amazing gifts of you ever met them? They, they talk about Jesus, they explain the gospel, and you may have explained the gospel hundreds of times, but they explain it once, and suddenly there's, there's flocks of people being converted. They've got these amazing gifts of just sharing the gospel. And some people are pastors and teachers, verse 11. They're the people with the, with the enormous privilege and the enormous responsibility of, of nurturing and nourishing and feeding and correcting the sheep and and stopping people from wandering by the teaching of God's word. But but why did God give those people? Christ didn't give apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers so that we can be bus drivers and every Sunday night drive the bus so that you can have a nice ride on the bus. Why did he give pastors and teachers and evangelists? Verse 12 to equip God's people, to equip the church, to empower the church for for works of service, to use the gifts that you've been given, according to verse 7. Everyone's got a gift, and we're here to be equipped to use those gifts for works of service, so the body of Christ may be built up, because if we don't serve together, if we don't work together, the body of Christ will remain immature. But when we are equipped to use our gifts, and when we use those gifts together... Verse 13, we grow in our unity until we have a better knowledge of Jesus and become more like him. It's really quite simple. I think a a, a newsletter from the US, Somerset Well, is a a church that I've been to. Uh, On their newsletter it said the pastors of the church was pastors, I think it said James and Pastor, or Reverend James and Reverend Andrew. Ministers of the church the entire congregation. 
Because that's what the church is. Everybody here has a gift, has a skill, has a talent that you're called to use together as one to grow this church and to grow in our unity. What's that going to look like? It looks like this attitude of how can I serve, not what can I get, but what can I give. You come to church with, how can I serve somebody else? How can I love somebody else? What can I do tonight to to encourage somebody else? If your gift is is talking to people, what, what a great gift that is. Just being able to have a conversation with a new person. Some people find that hard. Some find that really easy. If that's your gift of having a conversation with a new person, you don't need to be rostered on to do that, do you? You can just turn up on time and talk to people and use that gift. Maybe your gift is more like music or, or, or singing and, and you hear of a need in the band. Just sit there, offer your talent, offer your time, offer your gift so that we can be built up together. If your gift, if your talent, if your skill is maintenance or vacuuming the carpet or doing the washing up because you're just good at it and you like it, again, use that gift for the good of the body. It's more than that, though. It's not just skills. I think this equipping the saints for works of service is actually saying, make sure that you are being the New Testament church that you're called to be. Because according to the New Testament, we're called to do what? To love one another, to teach one another, to serve one another, to pray for one another. To, to carry one another's burdens, not just my job or Steph's job, is to carry each other's burdens, because we're in this together as a family. And when we do that, when we as a church actually use whatever skill or talent or gift God's given us together, because we are loving each other, what happens? The church grows, the church matures, and we grow in our unity. That's what struck me this week. If we as a church want to grow in our unity, it's not about better Bible talks. It's not about better systems or better processes. It's about us as a family just using whatever skills we've got and saying, I want to serve. I want to be a family. Let's do this together. And I love the, the story of the father who he went to see his two children perform in the Christmas show at school. And his daughter had the lead part in the show. She was on stage for the whole time, all these lines to learn. And his son had one line on stage for 20 seconds. And there's the dad, he's, he's filming his camcording the whole show. And at the end of the show, he goes up to both of his kids and says, you were both wonderful. I'm so proud of you both. The show couldn't have happened without either of you there. And my point is that in God's church, he's not looking for the stars of the show who need to be on stage the whole time. He's proud of each one of us, no matter how big or how small our part is. We're just called to do our bit, to grow this body called the church. And when we do that, when we just do life together, serve together, what happens? Look at verse 13. 
we reach unity in the faith. We grow in our trust of Jesus and we grow in our knowledge of the Son of God. We, we, we know Jesus better and we become mature. You can spot an immature church according to verse 14 because an immature church, an infantile church, is, is tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people of deceitful scheming. Uh, the immature church is one where the latest fad, the latest podcast, the latest craze, the latest teaching, we just go with the flow and we're going here, there and everywhere. But there's no ground and there's no roots. But the mature church, according to verse 15, we, we speak the truth in love. Uh, the word speak isn't actually there in the original. It's just truthing in love. Truth is a verb in that sentence. We truth in love. So, so we live lives are transparent and honest and loving speech and loving living. Now, please don't misunderstand this phrase to be harsh. You know, many Christians pick up speaking the truth in love and say, well, I'm just speaking the truth. And they're harsh and they are rude and they are bullying. The truth without love is harsh. Love without truth is pointless. And someone actually did this to me three weeks ago. They, they, they sat me down with a cup of coffee. They did it so well. In love, in kindness, and gently they just corrected me for something that I'd done. And I needed that. I needed to hear that. I needed to change and be rebuked and corrected. And as we do that for each other, we speak the truth in love, then what happens? We grow to become... Look at that word, in every respect, the mature body of him who's the head, who is Christ. If we want to be a mature, Christ-like church, what do we need to do? Work together. Live together. Become more like Jesus together. What's my point tonight? We are united. So guard it and grow it. Let me say, if you're here tonight... If you're in this building tonight and it's like you're on a bus and every week you just rock up and you get in the bus and you enjoy the journey but you don't actually do any life with people can I lovingly challenge you you're here as part of a body with a gift we as a church can't be the mature body that we're called to be unless you actually are part of it I don't want Church by the Bridge to be a, a professional orchestra, though. I've played in a professional orchestra. They're horrible places to be. People are, are paid to use their gifts. People are competitive. People are professional. It's all slick. That's not Church by the Bridge. What do I want Church by the Bridge to be? I want Church by the Bridge to be like your local amateur orchestra where everybody's got their instruments and they're just doing the best they possibly can with that particular instrument. And they love playing together. They love making a beautiful noise together because we're serving an amazing composer whose name is God. And I'm here tonight saying, do you want to be part of that? Do you want to be part of this family, part of this body called Church by the Bridge? If you do, we'd love you to be part of it. Please don't get in the bus every week. Join the orchestra and just see what a beautiful noise we can make together. 
honouring and glorifying our head whose name is Christ. I'm going to finish tonight by reading the words of an amazing old hymn. We're not going to sing it, we're going to read it. It's called The Church's One Foundation. It's up on the screen. The Church's One Foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. Elect from every nation, yet one over all the earth, her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace endued. This is the verse I love. Though with a scornful wonder we see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet saints, their watcher keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore, till with the vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Yet she on earth hath union with God, the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. O happy ones and holy, Lord give us grace that we, like them, the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with thee.